This show is a proud member of the Nerdy Legion Podcast Network. Get more at nerdylegion.com. Enjoy the show! Spoiler alert! What Did You Watch This Week is a candid discussion about recent movies and TV shows, and it may contain spoilers if you haven't watched them yet. Listen at your own risk. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 18 of What Did You Watch This Week? My name is Mike. My name is John, and our podcast is officially now legally aged to vote. It is, isn't it? Yes. 18 is a big, big year. You know, it's... you can buy scratch tickets. You can buy lottery tickets. Wait, that's the same thing. You can buy cigarettes. You can go gamble at the casino. You can vote. Well, Your unless you're in Portland. matter. Huh? I believe Portland just passed an ordinance that you had to be 21 to buy cigarettes. So Portland, Maine did? I believe so, yeah. I had heard like Wisconsin, like the state of Wisconsin or Minnesota or something like that, had also passed a, uh, a state law. You have to be 21 to buy cigarettes. Yeah. Which really just seems, I don't know, who cares? I guess it kind of makes sense because most people these days, it seems like they smoke when they drink and you got to be 21 to buy booze anyway, so... Yeah, that's true. That's oh, and true. public service announcement, just because you're 18 and you can buy scratch tickets, don't buy scratch tickets. Yeah. You'll yeah, become one of those people. Pretty much a waste. Yeah. You, you become yeah. those people that block the counter and get your dust all over everything. And yeah. None of us like you. None of us like those scratch people. So. No, we don't. And we don't like those scratch people that come in with a stack of like 30 winners, but you have to run through the machine one at a time. Yep. You got yeah, it. Don't, don't be that guy either. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy that wears the the T-shirt of the band that he's going to see in concert, and don't be the scratch ticket guy. I don't know if there's anything wrong with wearing the band of the T-shirt you're going to go see in concert. I mean, you're supporting that band. It, that was something from uh, PCU. From oh, that's true. That's, that was a great flex. <laughs> Wasn't that, that a great flex? Ages. That was uh, that was a very young, old-looking Jeremy Piven. I know. Even at his youngest, he looked like an old man. <laughs> The poor yeah, guy. that was a great flick. Yep, we a got a flick. we got a young John Favreau as Gutter. Yes, before he went on yeah. to do gems like Iron Man and Elf. David Spade was in there. He was the leader of Balls and Shaft. Ah, <laughs> oh, good times. Now I'm gonna have to go watch that again. Yeah. So, anyways, here we are to talk about not what happened in the past, not the legal age of whatever. But what we watched this week, and John, you and I, we watched a big movie this week. Together. We did. We watched yes. a large movie. Yes. Um, that would be the ultimate edition of Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. Yes. And my one sentence review is Go I, for didn't, it. I didn't hate it. Seems to uh, sum things up rather succinctly, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, after we get done talking about it, you'll probably think, I really think you did hate it, but I didn't. I didn't <laughs> hate it. Um, will I watch it again anytime soon? No. <laughs> no. 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 I mean, it wasn't like I wasted three hours, but no. no. I, I think we'll get into it here in a second, but I think that based on the discussions that you and I had during the movie, because we sat right there and watched it together, yes. and I think based on the discussions and the level of hands being thrown in the air 
I probably liked this movie less than you did. Yes. But I, I still didn't hate it. I would agree with that. I definitely think you liked it less than me, but there was a, if there was there were so many red flags that were popping up for me. Yeah. Um, in this flick. And I'm just gonna start right out. Um not gonna drag it, but Jimmy Olsen, a beloved character in the comic series since nineteen forty one. He had something like I heard yesterday, like, 20 of his own titles, you know, uh, comic runs, you know, different books. He essentially, uh, other than Superman, is kind of like the second longest leading male character in the series. Um, and because Zack Snyder just didn't see anything for him in his future, in his universe of the TV world, of the movie universe there, he just decided to uh, throw him away. Just say, oh, this CIA agent guy who's uh, working with Lois for the first time, that's Jimmy Olsen, and we're just going to shoot him in the face. Kill him. And when when the movie came out in theaters, they cut out the part where he introduces himself by name. So it was just this guy who was supposed to be a photographer riding out to the warlord's camp with Lois. They find out that he's a CIA spook and and he gets shot in the head. And it's like, wow, that kind of sucks. But, you know, what does it have to do with anything? But then they had to add in that his name was James Olsen. Yeah, after the fact, Zack Snyder did an interview with one website or movie outlet or whatever and said, oh, hey, by the way, everybody, that uh, guy we just threw away at the beginning of the flick, that's your beloved Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> and now he'll never be back. Yeah, it's just like, are you serious? Like, I mean, that was one of the many things, actually, that I just didn't like about this movie at all. Like, you know. Yeah, he, he it, it's not even the fact that, like, he didn't change uh, Kal-El's father into a purple gorilla, you know? He didn't do something ridiculous like that. But he effectively said, nobody gets to play with this toy except for me, and yeah. now I'm going to break it. Right, yeah. You know, there's no way that the Flash movie, that the Cyborg movie, that the Aquaman movie, Wonder Woman, none of the future movies can ever use Jimmy Olsen because he decided to do essentially a throwaway gag. You know, he was laughing when he did the interview and said, yeah, well, thought we'd have a little fun with him. Having a little fun would be like putting up a billboard that says Jimmy Olsen is getting his own clothing line or something. Right. It's not killing a character for no reason. And Jimmy Olsen is a CIA agent. I mean, come on. No, no, no. Jimmy Olsen was the little kid brother of, you know, of, of Lois. He was the little best, he was Superman's best friend. He looked at them as like father and mother figures. And no, he's not some smooth CIA agent who can speak foreign languages and, you know, has no problem apparently risking getting shot in the face. Yeah. That, I had a problem with that as well. Yeah. And it was right in the beginning of the movie, so it automatically set a bad tone. It did, really. Yeah, it did. It did. Uh, another big thing that I had an issue with was uh, Jesse Eisenberg. Eisenberg, I can't talk. Uh, <laughs> Jesse Eisenberg. Eisenberg's portrayal of Lex Luthor. Yeah, or as you brought up in the middle of it, uh, his portrayal of the Joker Luthor. Yeah, it definitely felt more Jokerish than Lutherish because unlike Jimmy Olsen, Lex Luger, Lex Luthor, Lex Luger's a professional wrestler. Lex Luthor was a smooth operator. He was, he had a commanding presence. He, people feared him, you know, he went on to become the president of the United States, right? He was not just a multinational businessman. He was a man of power, of dominance, of intelligence. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, and Jesse, uh, the, the as Lex was pro- uh, portrayed in the movie, he was maniacal. He was a sociopath, not a sociopath, but like a psychopath. Yeah, he would like you know? frequently talk to himself or like forget words and go a little bit crazy, like throwing his fingers up in the air and playing with little toys and 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 that yeah. didn't scream Lex Luthor to me. He wasn't the smooth operating, feared, you know, just suave, sophisticated guy that people were afraid of. No one was people were afraid of this version of Lex because this freaking guy's so crazy. I don't know what he's going to do. Not, I'm afraid of this guy because he is just, that's how he carries himself. You know what right. I mean? Like, yeah. Um, this man could crush me yeah. financially, personally, you know, probably even kill me. I, you know, I'm afraid of him. Not, oh, this, this guy, I have no idea what this guy's going to do type of fear. It's just, I don't know. I didn't like it. I didn't like the portrayal. Um, if he wasn't Lex Luthor, I didn't have a problem with the character otherwise. Even in the end, like yeah. at the very end, when Batman comes to visit him in his jail cell, and he tells Batman that he's insane, and then Batman's like, oh, but don't worry, I've arranged to have you taken to Arkham Asylum. Yeah. Like, really, is this going to be the Joker? Because we right. kind of already hinted at the Joker several times yeah. with the Jason Todd armor and Batman's little off-the-cuff joke, you know, people in uh, Gotham dressed up as clowns. Yeah. I um, Maybe. Who knows? I mean, that would be – I'm not going to say interesting, but but again, the character itself, if his name wasn't Lex Luthor, I found interesting. Yep. You know, I just didn't like that. They that oh, this is going to be Lex because that wasn't that's not Lex to me. Right, right. And I know they take creative license when they do these movies. And I'm not saying it's just a DC thing. I felt the same way the way Marvel kind of pooped all over the Mandarin. Oh God! And Iron I, Man. Some people love Iron Man three, and I hated that movie for multiple reasons. But yeah. I hated it especially for what they did with the Mandarin, yeah. making him a joke. Yeah, I was because like when when Ben Kingsley was portraying before he revealed he was an actor and all this other crap, it was he was a great, compelling, like scary character, you know. He was great, and then all of a sudden, oh, I'm just some foofy actor, and I'm uh, Trevor. Yeah, it was it was it was infuriating to the point where Marvel had to tack on a PS on the DVD and Blu-ray of uh, Thor: The Dark World, where. He was in jail and gets approached by some other felons and who said, you know, our boss wants to talk to you. Who's your boss? The man whose name you've been using for the past several years. Yeah. So that Marvel yeah. had to actually say, okay, guys, don't worry. There's a real Mandarin. We get Yeah, they it. gave themselves an out, which is yeah. just ridiculous. But to this itself. point, you know, yeah. I've seen Smallville. I've seen animated movies. I've seen all the different Supermans across, you know, the original ones and number three and four, which were terrible, and, you know, all the way up through. And I've never seen a Lex Luthor portrayed like this. No. No, Lex has never, ever been portrayed like this in any incarnation of cinema or even comic book that I'm aware of. Feel free to correct us, but... Yeah, yeah. Aaron Bell. But... uh, Calling him out by name. Look at that. Who most likely has already shook his fist violently in the air while delivering his mail listening to this and the things that we're saying. That's possible. 
That, that's entirely So uh, just keeping on this bandwagon of things that uh, I found confusing or I didn't understand, um, Wayne Manor was in Rumble, was in Ruins, and they never explained why that I'm that I picked up on. Uh, same with me. Like they they made sure to tell us several times between Alfred and uh, Bruce that they'd been fighting crime for twenty years uh, in. Gotham, that they'd been doing this for 20 years, they've been fighting crime for 20 years, they've been taking care of criminals for 20 years, yeah. but they never explained why all the windows were blown out, there were leaves on the floor, there was grass growing up around this old dilapidated mansion. Why they were living in this window-filled kind of... <laughs> lake house? Lake house. Did he hope that there was a mailbox out front that would send letters to Sandra Bullock in the past or something? I don't know, but, I mean, it, none of it made sense. It didn't. I felt like there was a lot of stuff in here that we were expected to know. I don't yeah. know if it's through the comics, but I, I don't think so, because I've read Frank Miller's The Dark Knight a couple of times, and right. I don't remember an explanation for that. Maybe. And as, as much as they do try to appeal to comic book fans in these movies, they're also appealing to the broader, general, casual fan audience. Right. And j even for just that aspect of the audience, that kind of needs to be explained to them so they can understand it. Yeah, so explain to us why Wayne Manor, you know, one of the stateliest things in the Batman universe, you know, everybody it was called knows. stately Wayne Manor. Yeah, aloud. yeah. It, I mean, Adam West, Burt Ward, you know, exactly, started with yeah. them and worked their way up. And I know and it started it, with the comics, but anyway, correct. But I mean, like, but it also seems at this point in Batman's life, if you will. You know, Dick Grayson has become has been there as Robin and left. We hope. You know, we hope they told us. I mean, like I know I read online in an interview that the uh, Batman, sorry, the Robin costume that was painted on everything was supposed to be Jason Todd's costume, which again is a nod to super car, uh, comic fans, but it's not apparent to anybody else. Right. Like yeah, it didn't even not. have the Robin logo on it. So. No, it didn't. It, it, but yeah, but the, I mean, I had read after the fact. Well, I say after the fact, after the theatrical version came out. You know, I had read that, that was Jason Todd, and it was just kind of like, well, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't really explain anything. Nope. So I felt just, like a lot of the stuff in this movie, you had to go to Wikipedia and look up. You know, you had to go to an interview and find out that that was Jimmy Olsen. You had to go yeah. and look up why Wayne Manor might have been destroyed or who's Jason Todd. So. I don't know what their point was in that. Easter eggs are one thing, but when they seem to be major focal points or plot devices, that's more than, you know, that requires an explanation. Yes, I agree. Um, one of the big things that really bothered me in this movie, and I'll probably get flack for this, but I felt that while Ben Affleck did a great job of portraying a Bruce Wayne you know, he seemed like a good Bruce Wayne. He seemed to fill the cowl well. Yeah, I, I liked him. Yeah, keep going. I'm sorry. I, I thought that he did a good job as Bruce Wayne slash Batman. However, I felt that the Batman character was written poorly. Um, I felt that one of Batman's titles, World's Greatest Detective, was sorely lacking here. I felt that this Batman in this movie was not a detective. He was not more intelligent than the criminals around him. He was a thug. And we might be able to get away with that if this was like Batman Year One, you know, back when he was still getting his feet and he wasn't sure what he was doing and he was trying to perfect his stuff. But, you know, we see this version of Batman who's got Alfred building him armored suits with technical skill that I never knew Alfred had. Yeah. And he 
he has the bat computers. He has all this information at his fingertips. And he instead chooses to punch and shoot his way out of every situation. He did no detecting. He did no problem solving. Like, he, he set up a little computer to steal files from Lex Luthor. And then, you know, Wonder Woman, Diana Prince, gets in there first and steals it away from him. And instead of trying to track it down, like with the back computer, having a transponder to figure out where his chip is in that little computer, he just sat there and, and moped yeah. until she sent it back to him. <laughs> right, yeah. He, like... Lois Lane in this movie was a better detective than Batman because she figured things out. She figured out that Lex was behind this. She figured out that he was setting both of them up. This man, Batman, who once devised a plan, a dossier, to on different ways to take out all the members of the Justice League should any of them turn evil. Okay, This man with foresight and forethought out the wazoo couldn't figure out he was being played for a year and a half by somebody who was functionally psychotic. Right. He's taken on the Joker, and yet Lex outsmarted him this easily? It really bugged me. I wanted Batman to be the clever one. I wanted him to figure things out. And he didn't. But I did like uh, Ben Affleck's portrayal as Bruce Wayne, and I liked his portrayal as Batman. Like you said, I don't like how it was written for him. Yes. But I liked him in the costume. I liked how he did it. The fight scene where he goes to Russell, Mar- uh, Russell rescue Martha Kent, which we will talk about that whole issue in a little bit. Yep. But that fight scene where he goes to, you know, save Martha Kent, it was amazing. Like that, I mean, that was a great scene with Batman just taking everyone out. I mean, like, it made me kind of look for, okay, well, I guess the, the Batman standalone movie that's coming could be really, really good. Right. And Ben Affleck is writing and I believe directing that one. Yes, which. I know if that's the case, I think we're going to get a good treatment with it. Now, real quick, just going back, uh, I was while you were talking, I was looking this up online, and the co- the Robin costume does have the Robin logo on it. You just can't see it because haha spray painted over it. Okay, but like in the still, you can see there's an R. I I don't know if it's red or not. It looks like it's kind of red. But this is what Zack Snyder had to say about it. So he, he doesn't confirm that it was Jason Todd. It just says. In my mind, it was that Robin had died 10 years earlier during some run-in with a younger Joker, Jared Leto. To me, it was a fun backstory there to play with. The whole idea that there had been a loss and a sacrifice, and in a weird way, he sacrificed everything to be Batman, right? He doesn't really have a life outside of the cave. I thought by including Robin, a dead Robin, it would help us understand he's been on quite a little journey. But none of that was conveyed to people. No, it wasn't. It just... Putting a camera on a costume for a casual fan isn't going to mean anything. For even a fan who's kind of like partially a fan, like, all right, so I guess there was a Robin. Yeah. There isn't now. Did what, what happened to him? We don't know. It's not implied that he's dead. Just implied that he's not there. Right. And those of us who know the Jason Todd story can draw that conclusion, but at the same time, it's not yeah. spelled out. This yeah. movie had so many flashback sequences, all from Bruce's perspective, they yeah. could have easily put one of those in there. One of these it's, flashbacks could have been the death of Robin, and we all would have gone, oh, okay, that's why he has the suit. Yeah. When he looks at it, he could have done yeah. that. Right. Yeah. But it's, it's just, but that's also Zack Snyder, once again, describing something... As like Robin being dead, which Robin's a major character, as fun. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Jimmy Olsen being dead. Oh, I just thought it was a fun little way to, you know, to, to throw him in there. It's like, really? And, really? And he's building up all these stories in his own head, but he's not conveying it to the rest of us. Right. You know? I, I don't like that, and I don't like the use of the word fun. You know, especially yeah. when it's something so vague like that. Robin died years ago. Well, which Robin? You know, are you going to tell us that Dick Grayson died so then Batman never took on another Robin? In which case, once again, I got a bit of a problem with that. Yeah. Right up there with the Jimmy Olsen thing. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. So. Next up. <laughs> so anyways, um, I guess I'm going to go with Doomsday. Okay. Because. Start right at the beginning with him. Okay, so, you know, somehow Lex takes and peels off Zod's <laughs> fingertips. Just the prints, not even the just tips. Just the prints, just the prints, just the thin layer of skin, and he uses that to gain access to the to the spaceship. And once he's inside, he somehow immediately becomes uh, indemnified as the leader of this spaceship, and they acknowledge him as the controller, and then essentially he's like, tell me everything you know of these 150,000 planets or 70,000 planets, whatever the number was. And then next thing you know, we cut to, oh, he's figured out how to take and mix his blood with Zod's dead body in this goo to create some sort of monster. And the computer says, oh, the Krypton High Council has forbidden this. And he doesn't say, well, they're dead. Do it anyways. Or I'm your boss now. Do it anyways. He goes, and what happened to the Krypton High Council? Or where are they? And the computer's like, gone. I will do what you bid. And it's like, really? <laughs> okay. I, w- I wonder and if the- Zack Snyder thought that that was like a fun little way to introduce the Brainiac character as like the voice of the computer. Yeah, maybe. And so then Doomsday is created from the, the corpse of Zod and, and, and Lex's blood. And he, you know, absorbs energy, fires it back out there. You know, he becomes bony eventually. Uh, you know, he's, he's Doomsday. And of course, you know, they got a band together to fight him, but it's not, it's not Doomsday from the comics. No, it's not. It's, uh, it's it's once again liberties taken with a comic character who I'm not saying is an iconic comic character, but let's just say it was a pretty big ish, pretty big deal when he came in and killed Superman. Yeah, that that comic was like the death of Superman. You know, how do you come back from that? I mean, they did, but that was a big deal when that comic came out. I still have an issue with. Actually, I'm going to take it even further back. And why the holy hellfires would they take this one crashed alien ship that was in the middle of Metropolis and leave it there? We actually see scenes where they put up a shoddy chain link fence and there are people walking to and from work on their daily routine and there's this giant tarp over a ship in the middle of Metropolis. It's like this domed thing over this giant ship. Yeah. They didn't take it to a military base. They didn't take it away anywhere. They're just like, no, let's leave it here. Let's not build a structure around it. Let's just put up some cheap, flimsy... I didn't even see barbed wire at the top of the fence. Yeah. Anybody could just walk in. And of course, everybody did because Lex Luthor's like, I want access to the ship. And they're like, okay... You know, it's alien technology at almost leveled a city, but, you know, okay, yeah, you could come in because you're a cool guy. 
And yeah, then you're a private citizen, so we're gonna <laughs> yeah. give you special access somehow. And then, like you were saying about shaving the fingerprints off Zod, he had Zod's body in the ship. Why couldn't he have just dragged his body down there, put the hand on the little handprint recognition? I mean, thing? he did. He did eventually bring the body down there. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, when he used Zod's fingerprints, the computer was like, "Hi." Welcome back to the ship. We're running at 37% power. And then the next thing you know, it's like, okay, Mr. Luther, we recognize you as the authoritarian in the ship. Yeah. So what were the fingerprints for? Apparently just to turn it on. And then instead of going like, oh, hey, Zod, glad you're back. Right. They were just like, oh, um, I guess you're the new leader now. I don't know. It didn't make any sense. Nope. Hopefully someone can explain that to me if that was supposed to make sense somehow. Oh, I we could ask Zach. I think Zack Snyder knows. Yeah. It was probably a fun little joke. Um so the first two and a half hours of the movie is essentially Batman talking about or Bruce Wayne talking about why he hates Superman, why Superman needs to be destroyed, building that whole story of why Superman needs to be destroyed. And then finally they have their big battle, which is set up by Lex Luthor, who somehow Knows that Batman's Bruce Wayne, that Superman is Clark Kent, and that he's in love with Lois, and that his mom is Martha Kent, and on and on and on. All his droogies know it. Because if you remember at the very beginning when they're in Africa, and the the um, the drone comes, it launches the missiles. Superman explodes both the missiles, and that that one you know security agent, Rogue Luther Henchman or whatever, yep, the leader, is watching it. And I said to you, they're testing Superman. And you're like, oh, no, why would they be doing that? They don't know who he is. I'm like, nope, they're testing Superman. That's what it looked like to me. And that's what it was. Yeah. And then later on, of course, we find out, you know, at the end of the movie that the whole time Lex has known who these two are. And for whatever reason, he wants them to do battle against each other. And it may have something to do with he views Batman as being the devil and he views Superman as being a god and he wants to see the god and the devil battle together because of that stupid painting he had. That he hung upside down. But that still doesn't that's not that doesn't seem like a justification for me as to why he wants them to battle. Unless he like if he just said like I'm evil and I want you to destroy each other because you can both stop me what I want to do, that almost makes more sense. Right. So he pits them against each other type of thing. I mean, earlier in the movie when they meet for the first time, you know, Lex, who doesn't know either one of them, and neither one of them know him personally. Right. He makes this introduction of, I mean, they know him by reputation type of thing, but he makes this introduction of, oh, amazing, we have Clark Kent and Bruce Wayne together meeting for the first time. How monumentous. And it's like, why is that monumentous? They don't know each other. They've never met. They don't know each other's secrets. They don't, you know, I mean, who cares? It's a reporter and a rich guy. I mean, does it... They don't know each other. And once again, I think if Zack Snyder had taken the time to explain to the audience that Lex Luthor knows who these people's secret identity is, it might have been more of a tongue-in-cheek kind of joke, but it wasn't because we didn't know that he knew who they were. Exactly, yeah. It didn't come off like that. And so, I mean, it's not like in Batman Returns when... Michael Keaton and Michelle Pfeiffer's characters discover that, you know, they're they're dancing with each other and they discover that, you know, she's Catwoman, he's Batman. They have a little awkward moment. They talk to each other about it. I mean, that was, I mean, if that was what they were trying to replicate here or do a scene like that, I mean, it it doesn't, it didn't make sense because they didn't know each other. Right. And it's like they discovered when they met each other who each other were. Right. You know, I mean, 
Yes, Clark heard that Bruce had an earbud or, you know, an, an earpiece in or something. He could hear Alfred talking to him, but it's not like he went, oh, that's Batman. Right. Yeah, he didn't say, oh, this must be the vigilante that I've been seeing in the newspapers. Yeah. You know, the vigilante that everybody's making a big deal out of in the newspapers and Clark's acting like he's never heard of him before, yet apparently right. this has been going on for 20 years. Yeah, well, Clark's only been around for 18 months in, you know, in, in, in uh, Metropolis. That's true. Which is apparently just across the bay from Gotham. So, I mean, there's a there's a barrier right there. <laughs> now, there's a new, you know, that's where the news doesn't seem to, to make headway from one to the other. But even, you know, Perry White, you know, when... When when Clark brings up about the vigilante and the crime over there, he even says, like, in the one humor moment of the movie, he goes, you know, like, you know, like Gotham, you know, high crime in Gotham. Also, water, wet. Yeah. You know, like, that was the – which was hilarious, by the way. Yeah, the delivery um, of it was great. Right. But I mean, that even implies that we all know about the high high crime rate in Gotham. We all know about the Batman, you know. Um, but – Again, it's just the way it was. It was just the way it was portrayed and perceived. You know, I, I just, I didn't, I didn't like it. I did not either. I really and so Batman, and, so they spend two and a half hours building Superman to hate Batman. Why he hates him? They spend a little bit of time where Superman goes. You know what? Batman's a menace. He can't be judged, jury, and executioner. On and on and on, because Batman kills a lot of people in this movie. Well. Um, uh- I gotta pause you there for a second because that's even a point where, uh, Lex has decided to, uh, abduct or, or steal the kryptonite that has been found because he couldn't get it through natural channels. So he sends a truck full of armed mercenaries. And I mean armed as in like they have guided rockets. You know, these are not RPGs. These are actually lock-on tank busters. And these people are stealing it in a truck. Batman's chasing in the Batmobile. Superman swoops down and knocks the Batmobile. You know, he does that thing where he stands there. The Batmobile hits and bounces off like, you know, a fly hitting a screen. Yes. And lets the truck, both men let the truck of rocket-propelled grenade-launched people just get away. The truck just rolls on, and they're like, we're too busy staring at each other menacingly. And then Superman, right. like, says to him, you know, do this again, and you're dead, and then flies away. Doesn't stop the truck, doesn't go back after the armed assailants. Right, He's exactly. too busy yeah. focusing on that one Batman guy. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that didn't make any sense either. Um, so, yeah. So Two they spent hours. the... Yep. Building Batman hating Superman, nodding at why Superman needs to stop Batman. But ultimately, Superman doesn't want to stop Batman. You know, well, when they finally meet up, he wants to save his mom. So he wants to try to talk sense into Batman. And after that sentence doesn't work, he then proceeds to kick the crap out of him. But they have the big epic, epic battle. Which Batman- was odd as well, because their battle, like Batman sets up for the battle. By yeah. putting his kryptonite spear, the one thing that he knows can stop Superman, putting stabbing it into the ground yeah. at the ground floor of some building. And then, yeah. And then the setting team. up on the roof with, like, machine guns and, uh, sorry, uh, miniguns. Yeah. And every other trick at his disposal to fight on the rooftop. Yeah, and in hopes of working the way down to that ground level, <laughs> I, I guess. I guess. But it worked, because that's what happened. Yeah, and then Batman's about to kill Superman, and he makes him bleed, and he's ah, uh, and then Superman's like, "I'm gonna die," but my mom needs so he tells, so he says to Batman, 
you got to save Martha. And all of a sudden, that, like, triggers something in Batman because his mom's name was Martha. You know, the mom that in the comic books and in every other incan- you know, incantation, not incantation, but in every other – say again? Incarnation. Thank you. Incarnation has been portrayed as he misses and loves his mom and he, he becomes Batman because, you know, he feels like he failed his mother. He failed his father because he couldn't stop him because he didn't do more and he becomes Batman for it. But yet in this flick, he's like, you know, they taught him how to die uselessly in the gutter, apparently. Yeah, um, that's what he reduced his parents' death to. Yeah. Was that they were pathetic, essentially. Yeah. And so, but yet, his pathetic mother's name has enough to make him stop and demand, demand to know why Superman said that name. And Lois shows up at the right time, like she always does in these uh-huh. movies, uh-huh. and says, that's his mother's name. And then we cut to something else. <laughs> And then we cut back, and they're buddies, and everything's okay. And they're just like, oh, okay, I promise you, I'll save your mom. I won't let anything happen to Martha, pal. Yeah. Sorry for the misunderstanding. And then off he goes. That's even how he introduces himself to Martha. Uh, Martha I'm a, fr- yeah, I'm a, a friend, friend of, of your, your son's. Son. And she goes, oh, yeah, the cape gave it away. Yeah. You know, I mean, but still, it's just like, we, we just spent two and a half hours building hate. And, and, 30 seconds, a 30 yeah. second cutaway. We come back and he's, oh, they're, you know, they're pinky buddies. It's just, I don't get it. That, that to me, I didn't understand that. Um, you know, cause it wasn't like, like normally when you have a scenario like this, where you have someone that's furious and is angry and hates someone so much, you know, when he does an about face, it's because he gets proven and shown that his hatred is not a va- is not valid. Like if they had shown that those canceled checks with all the graffiti on them were sent by Lex, if they were yes. shown a portfolio of information, or if Batman had done his job and done research right. and seen that it was Lex that set this whole thing up and he was being played and manipulated, right? That would have made sense. But they, there's no explanation. Like there's there's nothing that makes this guy realize. Oh man. I've had it all wrong the whole time. Right. I can't believe this. I'm embarrassed. Like, I, I, you know, I'm so sorry. Instead, it's your mom's Martha, too. Yeah. Which, by the way, he had just gotten done insulting Clark's mom, saying, you know, what, is that what your parents taught you? You know, so he acknowledged that Clark had parents. Didn't matter. You know, I made the comment to you while we were watching this. What would happen if, you know, a few years back, Bruce was walking through Wayne Enterprises and somebody was sitting in her cubicle and said, Martha, you got to come over and check this out. Would he have just turned into a blubbering mess on the floor? Apparently. Somebody said Martha. Run over to the woman's cubicle. Why did you say that name? Yeah, apparently. You know, but, you know, in, in this movie, the you know, Zack Snyder referencing the Waynes as being pathetic people that pathetic trash that die in the gutter. Maybe he didn't call them trash, but you know, I'm going, yeah, it wasn't the only time that he referenced a complete opposite message from his own movie, even because in man (laughs) of steel, Kevin Costner's Jonathan Kent, he let himself die preventing Clark from revealing himself from showing his powers because he knew that mankind couldn't handle it. And he didn't want him to show his powers. He wanted him to let those kids on the bus die. Yeah. You know, because to protect himself, protect his son. And yet in this movie, Clark makes the uh, Superman makes the comment that being a superhero was just the dream of a man, a, a dead man from Kansas. Yeah. No, it wasn't. No. 
No, it was not at all. (laughs) His dad did not want him to be a hero. I remember so many people were mad about that comment where Pa Kent, you know, Clark's like, what was I supposed to do? Let them all die? And he's like, I don't know, maybe. Let a busload of children die so that he doesn't get discovered? That's pathetic. And people were like, that is not the Superman and and Kent that I know. Right. And he let himself die instead of letting his son see. He knew his son could have easily gotten over there and saved his life. Yep. But instead he let, he put his hand up there and he said, no. And he let him, which was, I mean, that was a very powerful scene in that movie, by the way. And it powerfully pissed me off. Yeah. And he's told his son, no, because he didn't want his son to reveal, you know, to reveal his powers in front of everybody, what he could do. So there's no way that was the dream of a dead man from Kansas. No. You know, so that was annoying. And so that, that ticked me off as well. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> Listen, you get them all worked up over there. Well, yeah, I am. Did we cover all the bases of what nope. ticked us off about the movie? Oh, we didn't? Good. Because nope. my brain's a little sludge. I've been up all night at work. <laughs> what, what else? What did we miss? Well, um, two things that really bothered me right towards the end were, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the beginning, we see the end of Man of Steel and the carnage yeah. that's being wrought across Gotham, apparently, uh, because it's just across the street from... Metropolis, yeah. or yep. maybe it was Metropolis, and just the Wayne Bank happened to be a Metropolis instead. Yeah, no, that was Metropolis. Okay, it definitely so was Metropolis. We have this whole profound thing where most of Bruce Wayne's hatred towards Superman stems from the fact that he caused wanton destruction in a populated area while he was oh, fighting Zod. Yes, yes, so yes. much po- destruction and death. So when we're fighting Doomsday. Um, Doomsday gets knocked back down to Earth after Superman takes him to space for a little trip. Uh, they had ice cream or something, I don't know. And Doomsday gets knocked back down to Earth on an isolated island between the two places, between right. Gotham and Metropolis. Isolated, going around, perfect. Yes, Whatever let's fight him there. We got Batman there, we got Wonder Woman there. And then Batman realizes, oh, I need my spear that I conveniently left back in that building. So instead of going back to get his spear... He literally says, I need to lure him back to where the spear is in a populated area. So he knowingly takes this monster back into a populated area to wreak havoc so that he can get the spear and fight him in the populated area. Yeah, yeah. To do exactly what he was furious. Yeah. Yeah. That's Um, Superman for doing. So that was one of my issues. Number two was the cutesy line from the preview where Superman looks at uh, Wonder Woman and then looks at Batman and says, is she with you? And Batman goes, I was going to ask if she was with you. But then when you watch the movie, you realize that Batman and Wonder Woman talk a lot. They they have multiple personal interactions. They email. They have each other's yep. contact info, apparently. And uh, they coordinate on things to the point where that scene that you saw in the preview, Batman says to Wonder Woman, we need the spear, it's the only thing that'll kill him, Um, we've got to get it, and she's like, okay, and she turns around to face Doomsday, like to stall him or whatever, Superman lands at that moment, and says, is she with you? And Batman apparently has amnesia now, and goes, I was going to ask if she was with you. You were literally talking with her and making up a plan right then. Right, right, yeah, because evidently he forgot all their earlier meetings in the movies and the emails and finding the picture of her from World War One. Yeah. And uh, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, so yeah. 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 And, and the last thing that I can think of off the top of my head, um, I did want to mention before that, uh, Barbara Gordon. Yeah. Uh, 
oh God, the actress's name is slipping. Jenna Malone. Jenna Malone, uh, credited in the movie, but never shown in the original yep. cut. Shown in the director's cut, she's credited as Barbara Gordon. It's like great, never introduced as that. She's just the blonde who happens to be helping Lois talk about the bullet that she found, the magic bullet, and and what forensics yep. say. So we don't really know. Maybe it's another fun Zack Snyder thing, but this is Barbara Gordon, Batgirl, Oracle, right. you know, yeah. someone who has a very profound effect on the entire Justice League at some point. And Absolutely. she's just the girl in the blonde wig. Uh, but the thing that bothered me a lot, a really lot, was the fact that the files that Lex Luthor had on his server, had a bunch yes. of different things, but there was one particular file that they referenced a couple of times. Batman looked at it, and then Diana looked at it, and it was called the Metahuman Factor or something like yes. that. You yes. know, like the New American Idol, I guess. And it had four different files in there with DC-sanctioned logos for four different heroes. Yes. So yep. we had the Wonder Woman logo for the Wonder Woman mm-hmm. file, and we had the Aquaman folder for the Aquaman file, and Flash, and Cyborg, and then intimate videos and photos of these people in existence. So apparently, Lex Luthor got to name all these heroes. You know, the Flash folder was just Ezra Miller at a convenience store foiling a, a holdup. And so... Lex Luthor said, I'm going to call him Flash, I guess. And the, the the thing that really ticked me off more than that was the fact that there was no file on Bruce Wayne yeah. or... Yeah, I was going to bring that up. There was no file on Batman or Superman in there. So he has these detailed files, and one might make the argument, oh, well, metahuman, you know, it's a, Diana Prince is not a metahuman. Yeah. You know, Cyborg is not a metahuman. These were... The, I don't even think that you could call Aquaman a metahuman. Aquaman is an Atlantean. Uh, Diana Prince is an Amazonian, and yep. Cyborg is a guy who was almost dead and had cybernetic parts attached to him. He's an actual cyborg. Yeah. So none of those are metahumans, technically. Nope. And no. so lumping them all in there means that you should have also lumped in Batman and Superman so that we right. could see his file on them, which we never saw. Right. But yet he knows everything about them. Yep. Yeah. So, like you said in the beginning. <laughs> I, I feel like after all this, people are going to be like, wow, they really hated this movie. But again, I didn't hate this movie. Nope. There was things I liked. Like we talked about, I liked, I, I really liked Ben Affleck as Batman. And yes. I look forward to his movie when it comes out. I just don't like how Zack Snyder portrayed him and right. had him act. I liked... I like Henry Cavill or Cavill, however you pronounce his name. I like Henry Cavill as Superman. Yes. I liked him in Man of Steel. I actually liked Man of Steel a lot. I did too. I thought it was a great flick. So I liked him in Man of Steel. I like him. I like how he portrays the character in this movie, but I don't like how the character is portrayed in the movie. You know, right. know what I mean by that? Yes. You know, maybe absolutely. it sounds confusing. Gail Godot. I do not think she's all that in a bag of chips. Me either. I don't think she's attractive. Nope. I like her as Wonder Woman. She is a great Wonder Woman. I am actually, because the movie takes place in World War One, I, I am very excited to see that movie because of the period it takes place in. Not only that, but I was quite impressed with the way that she carried herself. You know, she didn't have a lot of lines in the movie. She didn't have a lot of interaction, but she made me want to see more. Yes. Yeah. More than and any again, of the other characters. They did not give us a, a lot or any backstory on her. 
other than we know she's some sort of rich socialite of some kind. Yep. And she's not human because that's implied because she talks about, I know I'd left mankind behind, et cetera, et cetera. A couple hundred years ago. Exactly. So she's not human. Um, but then she sees that she needs to help them. So she shows up in her Wonder Woman outfit, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, and, and fights and goes to town and, and, you know, is really a very integral part in the main fight scene of the movie. Right. Again, in defeating Doomsday, you know, she, she was the only one of them who actually lived up to the hero moniker because yes. those two were too busy fighting yes. each other to do anything about really helping people. She's the one who was literally on a plane leaving the country and said, "Uh oh, they're going to need help. I'm a hero. I'm going to go and help them. A very, very, very valid point. That is <laughs> like I didn't even consider that till you just said that. But yes, you're absolutely right. So the real hero of this movie is her. Yeah, she's the only one that actually acts like a hero. And we got to see the lasso. <laughs> yeah, we got to see the lasso. Yeah, that, that was just great. So, but um, yeah, I mean, next year when the Wonder Woman flick comes out, apparently it's June second, two thousand seventeen. I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to going and seeing it. Yep. You know, I mean, I see Zack Snyder's a producer, but he didn't direct it. Right. And he didn't write it. <laughs> I'm so, looking forward next month to going to see the yeah. Suicide Squad movie, because I'd like to see a little bit more of this Gotham-based universe. I don't know if I'm going to go see it or not at the theater, but I, I do want to see the movie. Yeah. Um, and truthfully, the one of the reasons why I want to see the movie is because I, is, I, I had no interest in seeing it prior to seeing Ben Affleck as Batman. Okay. Yeah. So that kind of that's kind of moved it up for me as far as making me want to kind of check the flick out now. So yeah. I I think that kind of covers Batman vs Superman. Um, hold on, let me recap in my brain a little bit. It it was a lot to get through. There were three hours of that. Yeah. Movie. I mean, I mean, at one point we did like look over and be like. We're halfway through the movie. <laughs> it was, it was a lot to take in all at once. Um, it was a lot to take in, yeah. A lot of flashbacks. Uh, I still want to know why Batman seems to have the power of prophecy. Because. Yeah, he really did seem to have, be a, a prophet in this flick. <laughs> he had one dream in which the Flash was reaching through a breach and telling him that Lois was the key and she was always the key. I'm not sure what that means, but it seems to be setting up something else. And uh, it was very flash. Uh, no, sorry, Crisis on Infinite Earths moment. Um, but then he also had another dream where the future had been taken over by Superman soldiers, but there was the Omega symbol everywhere, which of course is yes. more dark side than anything. Which we didn't. We I mean, and then we did see um, Dark Side's they, uncle. Yeah, Dark Side's uncle. Yeah, when they came to arrest Lex. Yep. Um. Which, that's not explained at all either, but nope. that's fine. But why were Batman's dreams actually future prophetic? Like, Flash can travel through time. Why did he come to him in a dream instead of coming to him um, in real life? Yeah. Valid question. Yeah. Um, but again. Didn't hate. Didn't hate the movie. Um uh, there was, I, I really, I mean, there's a lot of, there was several things I really enjoyed about it. There was just several things that I, I didn't. And, um, again, I'll maybe watch it again. Just not, 
straight away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I feel the same way. Yeah. So. All right. Well. Yeah. So there that we takes go. care of the first part of our podcast. <laughs> it takes care of like a good fifty-minute chunk or forty-five-minute chunk of the podcast. But that's um, not all we watched last week. No, that is not all we watched. That was that's essentially the only thing that we did watch together, though. Yes. Um. So yeah. Um. Speaking of, I didn't hate it, John. What is the one movie that you do hate more than anything? Yes. The only one that I would ever put in the actual hate category. Yes. Cabin Fever. Yes. Eli Roth. Yes. Maybe hate Eli Roth. Because we don't movie. need to break down why you hate the movie, because I'm right there with you. I was going to say, just go watch it, anybody, and you'll see why I hate the movie. The only redeeming quality of that movie, and this is going to be very piggish of me, is seeing Serena Vincent's boobies. <laughs> Otherwise, I have no need for it. However, I will admit to you now that I watched the remake, Cabin Fever. I didn't think that they remade that movie. I thought they reshot that movie. Well, okay, so, yeah, it's not a reboot. It's pretty much here. Eli Roth gave this guy and said, here's the script, shoot the movie. And he shot 30 less pages or whatever it was of the original script. And um, I had watched, you know, I'm a big fan of the original Psycho movie. I watched Gus Van Zandt's Shot by Shot remake, and I I like the original better. Um, This was almost a shot-by-shot remake. There was a few things here and there that were tweaked on it, but I will say, although it's not a good movie, it's way better than the first movie. Um, They did some things to make it make a little bit more sense. They did some things to kind of make it a little bit a lot darker um, than the first flick was. Um, Like, there's this whole scene... um, with this kid named Dennis at the store who likes to bite people and he seems to love pancakes and he does this slow motion jump karate spin kicking kung fu ridiculousness. Not to actually hit anybody, but just like he's doing kata for uh, yeah, an instructor. Yeah. Exactly. And that's that's not in this movie at all. Um, the Dennis kid does bite, but it's actually explained, so it, it kind of is like, all right, well, it make, makes sense, quote fingers. Um you know, there's this whole, like, there's this uh, car crash at the end where this guy hits a deer, where uh, Ryder Strong hits a deer in the first flick, and the deer's legs are in kicking his feet, and it's almost hitting him in the face, and it's just like, this is garbage. They took that out, luckily. The whole ending of the movie kind of changed completely, as far as, um, in the first flick, Ryder Strong, you know, is in a hospital, and basically they say, kill him, whereas this, he's, you know, the the, the main the same character. Uh, is just he gets kind of lost in the woods and we just find him dead. Um, so there's a lot that they, they cut out a lot of the stupidness that was in the first movie. And there was a lot of it. Yeah, like there's this whole scene where there's these southern hillbillies are made to be racist and like the kids are in the store and they go, hey, old man, nice gun. What's that for? And he goes, oh, that's for the N words. Except and he didn't just, say N-words. He exactly. Used the word. And you're just like, whoa, whoa. And then later, like, you know, later on at the end of the movie, the guy's sitting there and you see like, like, this is after the whole, it's like a credit scene or whatever, or right before the credits. But like all the main characters are dead or at the hospital, wherever they are. And this 
truck pulls up to the store and these black people get out and you see the old man see him and his eyes get big and he jumps up and he runs into the store and he grabs that gun down you think oh he's gonna kill these black people because he's a racist and the black people walk in the store and he goes hey i got your gun he goes like what up my n-word and they shake hands i got your gun right here and it's just like why is this in the movie it's stupid it doesn't like most of the movie it's stupid doesn't make sense all that's gone from this so this movie is much darker and a lot of the stupidness is cut out, but it's still not a good movie. That's what I was wondering, because you, yeah. you almost made it sound like you were going to give it a sell. Like, go watch this movie, but yeah. I'm glad to hear no, it's still it's, not good. It's still not a good movie, so. but it's way better than the first one, gotcha. than, the, than the original, than whatever. But Everything I didn't watch is. it because I'm a sucker for a horror movie, and, you know... You know this one at least. See, like that's the thing. When you watch a low-budget horror movie, if it looks like it was shot with a camcorder, it it really loses a lot of its appeal when the production and the video quality is garbage. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Like it doesn't have that. Like oh, it was shot on thirty-five millimeters, so it's got that kind of look to it. No, it was shot on a VHSC tape. It looks like garbage, right? <laughs> um. So like watching this, I know it's going to be the the quality of the film is going to look well. So it makes it more tolerable when you're watching it, if you can follow me there. Yep. Yeah, it um, was circuitous, but I followed you. Yeah. So I watched that. The wife and I watched uh, Limitless, that, the, the movie. We had, we had watched the series. We loved the series. I had already watched the movie with you. and um, But we watched it. She loved it. It's a great flick. If you, can, if you ever get a chance to check it out. I know the movie's not on Netflix, but season one is on Netflix. And I do recommend watching the movie first before you watch the TV series. Because in the TV series, the main character is not the same main character in the movie. But Bradley Cooper's character is in the series. Rather prominently. Yes. And it's done really well. And so, and I love the series. It's fantastic. I like it better than the movie, but the movie's great. So check that out. And definitely uh, check out the series on Netflix because yes. you can't go wrong. It is yes. pure entertainment gold. And I will tell you this, without spoiling anything, if you listen to some past episodes, you probably heard us talk about it then. But, like, it has a very – even though it was canceled after one season, the final mm. episode has a very satisfying conclusion yes. where you can watch it and you can go, you know what? Even though it was can- – even though I'd love to see more episodes, it's not a cliffhanger – it's not. It's not. Still not a finality. They could make more episodes or a movie or whatever it is, but it has a very satisfying ending. So you're not going to yep. watch it and be frustrated when it's over. Exactly. Yeah. So you'll still be satisfied when 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 the movie when the when you watch the the 22nd episode. But definitely, I'm going to give it a hard sell. Definitely watch it. Hard sell and limitless the series. Check it out. You will not regret it. Exactly. If you've listened to any of our podcasts in the beginning, you yeah. know that this has been one of the shows that I was talking up forever. Mike finally yeah. got on board. He started talking it up. So yeah, enjoy. Yeah, yeah. great, great show. Um, so yeah, and then another movie I watched this week, um, based on the the podcast that you and Aaron and I did for Nerdy Legion over on We Love Cheesy Movies. Um, we you had talked about Amazon Woman on the Moon. Um, and you loaned it to me the other day and I watched it and I, once I started watching, I'm like, I've seen this movie before. I've seen it more than once. I still watch it again. It's, it's a great flick. It's It's so cheesy and stupid and irreverent and I love it. But yeah, it's, it's a great flick. It's definitely worth checking out. Yeah. It was, it was back in the day of parody, but 
like vignette parody. Yes. Like a Saturday Night Live in the most twisted way possible. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like uh the the final the final bit in it is like a spoof of Reefer Madness, except it's called Social Disease. And it's Carrie Fisher, and she has a social disease of, you know, not being able to, like, interact with people. And the way it's done, it's like one of those old, you know, 1950s warning type things. So yeah. it's pretty solid. The, the kind of film that you'd be shown in film class. Yes. Yes, back in the day. Yep. Uh, I uh, This week, I went to, with a friend of mine, to a couple of films from the uh, Maine International Film Festival. Ah, uh, yes. Which, to me, sounds oxymoronic. It's Maine International Film Festival. Right, yeah. So it's only in Maine, but it's international. Maybe so, it's because they accept international flicks to the festival? Could be, could be. Um, there were some indie films out there. There were some interesting ones. I mean, they, it, this is a big thing. I saw their program, and it like folds out like one of the old uh, gazetteer maps. Yeah, not the, I not mean, the book, but the actual maps. Yeah, I mean, like I looked at the schedule to see what was playing, to see if there's anything I wanted to try to make the effort for. And it's like a 10-day event, but they are showing uh like I don't know, like 50 or 60 movies yeah yeah it's a huge number of films and i know they show and they show most of them multiple times between the waterville opera house and the uh Rare 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 square, square theater cinema. yeah cinema so but anyways yeah. i'm sorry go ahead so the first one that i watched i had never seen either one of these before so it was kind of interesting uh the first one that i watched was kramer versus kramer and uh that was at the waterville opera house and very interesting movie uh i think it's an afi top 100 you know classic is, movie yeah and uh, early Dustin Hoffman and Meryl Streep, uh, it dealt with divorce in a very real way. Uh, not a lot of movies were tackling this kind of stuff at the time. But we start the movie with Meryl Streep just leaving Dustin, Hoff- Dustin Hoffman. She's just like, I can't do this anymore. I'm leaving you. I'm getting out. And he's like, what about our son? She's like, I'm no good for him. Bye. And takes off. And we kind of get to see him adapting to that life. You know, how does he have the job and take care of the son and you know, make the son understand that mommy's gone. She doesn't want to be around anymore. Kid's only like five years old. So it was very real for a lot of people back then because, you know, divorce has been on the rise, but it hasn't been on the rise for that long. It was not always, you know, that common of a thing. So it was quite touching and poignant in a lot of places. I'm not a big one for kids, but I still found a little bit of a tug in my heart watching this movie. I thought it was fun, though, because you look at the time period that it was shot in, and it's so different from today. You know, they meet up at a coffee shop, and every table has an ashtray on it. Oh, yeah, things like that. Whenever I see smoking in movies, (laughs) old ones, I'm just like, that's comical to me. Yeah, in the office, you know, he goes in to drop off a, a thing to his boss, and she's sitting there talking on the phone, smoking a cigarette in the office. And it made me laugh. I'm like, man, look at the way things have changed. Um, not just the fashions and the giant glasses, but that was a good movie. Uh, then a little while later, a couple hours later, we headed over to Railroad Square and we watched Bonnie and Clyde, the uh, 1963, I believe, film. Now I've never seen Kramer versus Kramer, but I have seen this Bonnie and Clyde for a couple, for like a couple of times, and I, I do enjoy it. Uh, I got the, the neat thing was that because it was the film festival, we got some like backstory on the different films, and in fact, the guy who wrote Bonnie and Clyde 
or by his own admission, he's not a good writer. He's a good rewriter. Um, and he also directed Kramer vs. Kramer. He was up for an award from the Maine International Film Festival, so they flew him in. And he was there for a uh, Q&A at the end of Bonnie and Clyde. So we got some backstory on uh, you know, how the movie was created and some of the stuff that went into it. It was, it was quite fascinating. Apparently, when it first came out in New York in 1963, it was panned. The critic that reviewed it at the time hated it said that it was too yokel and too hasty because, you know, some of the music in it was actually like banjo music. Um, There's nothing wrong with banjo music. <laughs> at the time, there was. Yes. yes. Um, you know, he said this was a ridiculous movie. It's it's hillbilly. It's yokel. This is for mountain people. Send it off to, you know, the far corners of the world. So they sent it to places like Missouri and Louisiana and let it play out there. But apparently, like, some of the the younger generation then who were starting to revolt themselves re- watched this movie, watched young Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway, and said, we identify with these people, and it became very popular and started making a lot of money. So they brought it back to New York, they had fired that film critic, and they had another one on, and suddenly it was getting good reviews, and suddenly it became a hit, and then it became a classic, and so it really turned its fortune around. Yeah, it kind of like... um. You know, Natural Born Killers? Yes. You know, that was definitely a homage to Bonnie and Clyde. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was kind of almost the same way. Like, I don't remember that doing too well in the theaters, but when that hit home video, it exploded. Holy God, didn't it explode? Yeah. Cult classic right there. Yep. Unlike the ill-famed uh, Teenage Bonnie and Klepto Clyde, oh, which <laughs> did not do well at all. Well, you know, and then while we're talking about Bonnie and Claude, I didn't watch it this week, but my favorite B-screen queen horror actress, Tiffany, Tiffany Shepis, yeah, her and her husband are in Bonnie and Clyde versus Dracula, and it's just a B-horror <laughs> flick, and it's actually done really, what? really well, and it's pretty damn good. I did not see any vampires in Bonnie and Clyde, so. Well, I understand, but this is this is before, you know, what happens in your movie, I Oh, assume. okay. Or maybe a small detour chapter that's just not explored, <laughs> where they go battle Dracula. Um, nice. Okay. So, yeah. it, it was a good movie. Um, the sound was a little bit off for me. You know, it yeah. seemed very loud. Uh, the violence, like watching one guy get shot in the face. From oh, the 1960s. when he's on the side rail of the car. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, of course, that- we all know that Bonnie and Clyde went out in a blaze of glory, but it was not quite... Like, they weren't firing anything. They just got gunned down ridiculously. Yes, they like, did. And I actually, there's a casino in Prim, Nevada, back in 2007 that I went to, and they have Bonnie and Clyde's actual car there. And it is riddled with bullet holes. Oh, so the final car. Because i got to say, I looked at my buddy at one point watching this movie, and I said, the automobile budget for this movie must have been through the roof. No, they, they didn't have the the car from the movie. They had the actual car. Well, that's what I meant. Like, yeah. along their crime spree, these people stole cars oh, like, yes, like yes. they took naps. I mean, every yeah. time you turned around, they were stealing a different car. Yeah, no. Yeah, this was the car that... Um, they made their they were, final stand in that they were murdered in, if you will, or gunned down by the police. And I mean, essentially, like they were set up, and then they they there was they they were not given the chance to go quietly into the good night, or well, or to go peacefully. They just were you're done. That's what I kept like 
I had a problem with that because I'm watching this movie and it was written based on accounts from Bonnie's sister and somebody else from what they knew from the stories they'd been told. And, uh, there were times like when the, the police would get a tip that Bonnie and Clyde, uh, the Barrow gang, you know, Bonnie and Clyde and his yeah. brother and his brother's wife and the mechanic that they had with them were hiding out at this hotel. And the police yep. would just roll up and start firing. They'd never call out, you know, this is the police, surrender yourselves. They would just unleash lead yes. upon these buildings. And they did this multiple times in the movie. And then even at the end, like you were saying, you know, they just sat in the bushes and waited for them to stop and then just fired. They never identified themselves. They never did anything like that. Just shot them. Um, yeah, That's yeah exactly. That's what they did. They set them up. And then I'm not going to say they murdered them, but they definitely didn't give them the chance to... <laughs> this was definitely before the Miranda rights. Yeah. <laughs> By about six years, but still. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so. Yeah. But those were fun movies. Um, I might be going back, uh, this week for the usual suspects and supposedly Gabriel Byrne will be there to receive an award as well. Yes, I saw that. I saw that that was going to be there as well. Um, the usual suspects. What, uh, um, what day is that showing? I believe it's Friday. Okay. Friday evening. I haven't seen that movie in ages myself. Oh, such a good movie. Yes, it is. It's a great flick. So Absolutely. what else did you watch this week, Mike? Have, have um, you caught up on any Hell on Wheels? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I watched Hell on Wheels. Uh, the, the most recent episode, um, there's two episodes left now. When I say two episodes left, technically one aired this past Saturday. I haven't watched it yet. So there's one more to air still next week, but there's two episodes left for me to watch. Um, and they're wrapping up the series. You know, they knew this was going to be the final episode. So like they've definitely done a good job, um, wrapping things up because ultimately, you know, the last episode has to end with the railroads meeting and then driving that spike in and everything. Spoilers. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> don't, by the way, the boat in Titanic sinks. No! And water's wet. So anyways. <laughs> <laughs> There's crime in Gotham. So, um, yeah. So this one was all about Durant, who is the head of the Union Pacific Railroad. Now, um, the, the episode starts out like 16 years in the future where we see, you know, Grant putting on a show that he still, you know, uh, has money and power when in fact he's penniless and he dies actually in the opening moments, just sitting in a chair, writing a letter of some kind. All of a sudden he just, he's gone. So he just went, that was it. And then it cuts back to current times. And currently, you know, in this episode, he's been kidnapped uh, by his own ruse because he's trying to get money out of the Union Pacific for as his ransom because he owed these people he stole money from or swindled from them. Basically, have said, if you don't give us our money back, we're going to kill you. So now he has to come up with another scheme to get their money back. And in the end, you know, he ends up getting two people killed. One was his chief engineer and also his son-in-law, but he didn't seem to care about that. And the other was a girl named Maggie, who was a local businesswoman who loved him and was the only one that loved him. And he loved her, but yet his tomfoolery, if you will, got her killed. And what's horrible is... She had believed him that he had nothing to do with the kidnapping. She believed in him. She knew that he wouldn't do this. He had promised her that he wasn't going to be lying and swindling any more people. And literally the last thing that she finds out before she dies is that he lied. He did have everything to do with this. 
And the look on her face when she's dying and she looks at him is betrayal and hurt. And I trusted you. And why did I believe you? And look what happened to me. I mean, it was a pretty powerful moment, pretty powerful scene. Um, it was a great episode. Great episode. If you like the show, which if you don't like the show, there's something. I mean, it's a great show. So watch it. But um, yeah, that was a close one. You almost just condemned a group of people. Yeah. <laughs> the the power of the podcast is going to your head. Yeah, I know. But still, I mean, like, it's a great show, and it was just a great episode, and I'm really excited with the last two episodes. I think what the wife and I have decided we're going to do is we're going to wait till we back. have them both and yep. watch them back to back. <laughs> so, you know, just sit down, have a good, you know, pop some corn or whatever. Watch some uh, last two episodes of Hell on Wheels together. Nice. Yeah, another show we watched this week, uh, we're watching Orange is the New Black. Mm-hmm. We've watched, yep. I think we've watched four episodes of this season, and essentially, you know, Piper Chapman has been the main character because the, the show is based on the real life Piper's experiences and whatnot in prison, but now at this point we've come to season four. They've established so many other characters from other inmates to prison guards to the warden to everything else that Essentially, she is no longer the primary character. She's just another cog in the wheel. Um, and the way she is acting this season, at some point, someone is going to stab her or beat the crap out of her um, because of her arrogance and cockiness and, and everything else. And um, it's like she feels like she's mastered the system of how to get around in there when, in fact, she hasn't. Um, but, yeah. So, anyways... Uh, I, we're enjoying it. Uh, probably my favorite line in the entire run was uttered this season when uh, a hitman has forced his way onto there, and it happened at the end of the third season, and then it picks up in the first episode of the fourth season where he's trying to kill a particular inmate, and another inmate kills him to protect her, and now they realize we have to get rid of the body. And a third inmate finds out about it when she just walks in to get some tools out of the gardening shed, and there they are. And uh, she decides to to give them some advice of, why would you dig one six-foot hole? Dig six one-foot holes. That's murder math. And uh, that's murder math just killed me. Murder so. math is awesome. Math yeah. sucks, but murder math. Murder math is big thumbs great. up. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's it's been a, it's been a, it's been an entertaining season, and um, yeah, I would yeah I would watch it. Yeah, I, I'm on the first episode of this season. I finished it, so I saw what you were talking about, but yeah, I still have to get into it. I've been told by a friend of mine that um, she's been watching it, and she said that the last few episodes were very emotional for her. She had a really hard time getting through them, and. She just kept saying, it's killing me, it's killing me, so. Well, my wife's sister, Emma, she is says, she's on episode 11, I think, she said last night. She was texting Kate, and she says, it's just getting ridiculous. And I don't know if that meant as in, I can't watch this, it's stupid, or right. like what you just described. And I'm going to lean towards what you were just, what your friend was saying about it. So. Gotcha, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know, I'm, it's, it's a good show, something the wife and I watch together, so I'm looking forward to uh, yeah. continuing on. Yeah, I uh, I went to the theater and watched a current movie this week. Yeah, it was uh, Mike and Dave need wedding dates. 
Ah, good flick? It was good, because it was what I expected of it. It's not going to win any awards. It's not going to be an AFI classic. Uh, it's based on a kind of a true story. And what they don't show you in the previews is uh, the guys didn't just go on the Wendy Williams show. The reason that they were on the Wendy Williams show was because they became Internet famous because they decided to put an ad on Craigslist saying come be our dates to our sister's wedding, we'll take you to Hawaii, all expenses paid, and they got bombarded because women just went nuts, like, tweeting it and copying it on Facebook and everything. And They became very famous because everybody in their area and then surrounding areas picked up on the story. You know, these two guys are willing to pay two women or basically take them to Hawaii. So how did they end up settling on the girls they chose? If they basically had their pick, why did they choose these crazy? Well, they did a nice little montage of all the crazies that they uh, um, kept dating. You know, they'd go out to a bar and meet up with these people. And and it was a funny little montage of how crazy people can be for this kind of stuff. You know, prostitutes, men dressed as women, everything under the sun. And then... Was they, it as funny as Jason Siegel's montage and um, Forgetting Sarah Marshall where he's having intercourse with all these different girls? No, not even Wasn't close. as funny as no, that? Okay. No, Just no, nothing will be as funny as that montage. That was pretty, pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, then they end up, because of their fame, Wendy Williams asks them to come on her show to talk about it. And they give their impassioned speech and say that they're looking for good girls, smart girls, people that they can impress their family with. So these two live in their area and make themselves appear that way. To ah, kind of deception. Them. Yes, yes. Um, and they also don't present themselves as, we heard about your thing. They just kind of meet up with them. You know, oh, we just happened to be here, and you saved my life, and let's have a drink, and let's talk, and oh, oh, you're going to Hawaii? I, I guess we could do that, you know, so made it more their idea. But I wonder how much creative license was taken in that based on a true story. I'm sure I that know a ton was taken. Before. <laughs> You know, yep. they take a, a premise and they really stretch it or make it really wacky. And there's a part of this line that's like, was it really as crazy as that, you know? Yeah. I did laugh a lot th- throughout this movie. Um, I The funniest parts were not just in the previews, as you usually expect. Um, there were a lot of funny moments, a lot of laugh-out-loud moments, but it was wholly predictable. I mean, it was a rom-com in three acts like every other rom-com in three acts. You know, you start off with the heroes in one way, and then by the second act, things were going well, but then there's a snag, and everybody hates each other, and then we get to the third act, and there's resolution. You know, there's nothing unexpected in this movie, but if you're just looking to have fun and laugh, especially at the bloopers at the end while the credits roll, you're going to have a good time. Sweet. Yep. I'm sure I'll check it out sometime with the wife. Yeah. Not in the theater, but, you know, no. something. Yep. Cool. Um, so I just want to touch base on a couple more shows, I guess. Yeah. Because uh, we are we are running uh, on the long side, but that's okay, I guess. It's Batman vs Superman's fault. <laughs> exactly. Um, so Preacher. <laughs> I'm uh, six episodes in, and I'm loving it. I absolutely love the scene in the hotel where the angels keep dying and coming back, <laughs> but they don't come back to life; they just reappear. 
uh, and they don't know how it happens, but their bodies just keep piling up and piling up and piling up <laughs> in this hotel room, and it is amazingly well done. Especially because at first you're just seeing them die over and over again, and so they're walking over their own bodies and the other people's bodies. And, uh, but then they pan out through the hole in the wall, and you just hear the deaths, and you hear the people screaming and the chainsaws and the shotguns, and it becomes even funnier just watching the death, the flash of light as they come back over and over again. So awesome. So Yeah, well that was done. pretty phenomenally well done. <laughs> um another thing, a little backstory they have going on, which is very it's it's very vague. They haven't really it's a very vague backstory. We don't know how it relates or connects yet, but it's the Ratwater story. Yes. Which takes place like in the old west, and I am loving that. It's about this guy who the only thing we know about him was he was in the Civil War. He was on the Confederate side, I believe. He really seemed to love to kill people, but at this point in his life, he doesn't even want to carry a gun. And by the end of it, where we're at right now is he's been driven to put his guns on again. And yeah. that's where it left off. So I'm really waiting to see where that goes. I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, I have a feeling it's going to tie into something to do with present day. Like, we're aiming towards that. Like, it's driving down this one road. The present day story is driving down this other road. And at some point, they're going to meet up and merge together. And we're going to go, ah, oh, that's what it was all about. Right, yeah. I'm sure that's exactly what's going to eventually happen. But we're just not... We're not there yet. Right. Yeah. So. Now, last week we had talked about uh, Killjoys and Dark Matter. And you had said that you have seen Dark Matter, but you haven't seen Killjoys. Have you started yes. up with this season of Dark Matter yet? Uh, I've watched the first episode. Okay. That it's excellent episode. I really like the show. It's taken a twist I didn't expect. And then the ending was very unexpected. Yeah. I mean, exceptionally unexpected. Yeah, I didn't see that coming at all because I mean, they they yeah. They, essentially they killed one of the main characters, but they kind of didn't. Because one of the crew, it turns out is this guy who has been investigating his wife's murder and he was trying to find out, you know, all files point to one of the other crew members, but of course they've all lost their memories. But it turns out that in order to infiltrate the Raza and this crew, he underwent some kind of super plastic surgery, future plastic surgery, that made him right. look like a known criminal. Well, now the known criminal is back and decides he wants his face back. Right. And he kills the bad guy and not just a little bit and not, Oh, not the bad guy, the good guy. I mean, he, yeah, that's right. He kills the good guy, but not again, not just a little bit, not that, Oh, he might come back. No, no. He puts several rounds into his body. And then when he's on the ground, shoots him in the head. Yep. He is done. done. But not to take his place. Yes. You know, he doesn't like hide the body and then take up residence in the room. He just walks out. So are we going to see him again later on as, you know, trying to fill this guy's role on the Raza, or is that it? Is that actor slash character done done? Yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Um, I'm looking forward to watching the second episode. I know it airs Fridays, just haven't watched it yet. It's a good one, and, and I can't really talk about it an awful lot because there's a lot of things that happen in the second episode that Sweet. it'd be very easy to be like, oh, and then this, but... So it answers a lot of questions then. Answers a lot of questions, gets you a lot of resolution, and um, that's really all I can say without spoiling it. 
Cool. But you're still not watching Killjoys. No, I'm not watching Killjoys yet. Um, I just I haven't. I, I probably will. They're in the second season, right? Yes. Same thing with Dark Matter. They they air right one after the other. I know. I watched the first season of Dark Matter on Netflix. I don't know if Killjoys is on Netflix. I haven't checked it. I'll have to check it out. It's so good. This second season, we're picking up. We've got characters from the first season that are back and doing just as well as they were in the second season. Uh, in the first season, one of the things was they kind of have this hub town called Old Town. And that's yep. where a lot of, you know, their contacts are made. There's a bartender there that's their ally. And, uh, because of things that happened in the first season, Old Town now has a company, uh, perimeter around it, which is, uh, an electric fence essentially, but it's more like laser grids and yep. it's a smart fence. It can scan bio signs, tell who you are and then take appropriate action, either letting you in or shooting you to kill you. Uh, so they're dealing with that, dealing with trying to deal with all the aftermath of everything that happened in the first season and where they are now. It's just so good. I am enjoying the hell out of that show. Sweet. Yeah. It's awesome. Sounds good. Yeah. Sounds good. Um, anything else? Oh, you know, I do want to talk about this really, really quick. Sure. Um, so, uh, CW has this app on Roku called CW Seed. I, I downloaded and it's got a bunch of their shows on it or older shows. It's got all episodes of Birds of Prey and this and that. And then just this past week, they added the complete first season or only season to date, but hopefully more of Constantine. Woo! Yeah, yeah. So, I had read that there's a possibility of a second season happening. I had read that there's a possibility of Matt Ryan and you know joining the CW shows and just making appearances on all the other shows. Um, I either one of them would be awesome. I would definitely love to just see a full blown second season. I love the fact that CW is taking over has the rights now, obviously, to it um, because. You know, this show was never released on DVD to date. It's not on Amazon Prime. You, the only thing you can do is illegally download it until now. Now you can watch it on the CWC at least. Right. Which is big because it was an NBC show and now it's on the yeah. CWC. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, and it's not, go ahead. I was just going to say, honestly, if you look back at it, the show was okay at best. This was not a phenomenal show on NBC. No, it wasn't, but it was still good. It was still good, and it had potential. And I think yes. with kind of like with Supergirl, given the right people behind it, it has the potential to do more. Right. So it would be great if they could give it new life at CW and yeah. add in another layer of their DC universe. Oh, yeah. It would be awesome. It would be awesome. Because they've already kind of done it. He appeared on Arrow yes. once, and they mentioned him like 16 more times. Oh, yeah, they keep talking about on Arrow, but I also had read that Arrow may not be the place for them because they're trying to get out of the supernatural, get more into reality-based. Right, so, right, right. So. Um, we could do Legends of Tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, with Damien Dark being dead. Yeah. You know, it makes sense getting out of the supernatural. Well, my buddy Rude, well, you know Rude, obviously. Yes. He was, he was like, it would be great if Constantine showed up on Supernatural. So, I mean. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? He'd we'll overshadow them, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah, most likely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, you got anything else, sir? I don't think that I have anything else right now. Okay. All right. Well, I guess we'll just call that a podcast then. Fingers hey, crossed uh, it recorded this time. Yeah. Let's. Yeah. <laughs> Incidentally, this is the second time we've done this episode. The first time it didn't record. Yeah. It, it did record, but. 
something happened so that it didn't record. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, this audio file showing it's twenty three point three megabytes. So I think we're good. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good. And with that, everybody, thanks for listening. Uh, please send us your comments, your questions, your recommendations, your hate mail. I don't care. Send me feedback. Uh, and you can find me at SuperstarML on the Twitter. John? Feel, feel free to send Mike all the tweets that just say things like banana. <laughs> uh, that's fine. Go That'd right ahead. Go right ahead. Uh, send it to the show's uh, Twitter feed. Uh, yeah. What did you watch? That's send it right. to that. It'd be great to see the Twitter feed explode trending hashtag banana. Exactly. It'd be phenomenal. You can find me on the Twitter sometimes when I'm, when I have the app open at the Quantum Geek, which is G33K. And the show itself it does have a Facebook presence uh, at What Did You Watch this week? So check it out there. Uh, you know, we link trailers there. The new episodes we link there, obviously. And I try to do the trailers on Twitter as well. Most of my Twittering is done on my phone. Because I can't figure out how to switch from one login to the other on the desktop version. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, it's a little more complicated <laughs> on the desktop, but. Yeah. Phone, <laughs> wicked easy. So anyways, that's it. Uh, thanks for listening. Talk to you next week. See you later, everybody. 